My name's Trevor Jackson and welcome to Tomorrow Is Mine. Celia Innerarity describes her life and career as unorthodox, yet that hasn't stopped people from opening up to her. Ever since she was a young girl growing up in Jamaica, people have randomly come up to Celia and shared their most personal details and deepest secrets. Clearly, people like Celia, and Celia is very much a people person. Unsurprisingly, Celia began her career in human resources, and then later gave up life in the corporate sector to become a massage therapist, working with a wide variety of clientele. It was while working with elite national athletes that Celia became fascinated by nutrition, and once again, decided to change career paths. Ultimately, her quest for knowledge in that field led her to Bond University on the Gold Coast. But if it hadn't been for some extraordinary kindness shown by friends and clients in Jamaica, Celia would never have made it here to study her Master of Nutrition and Dietetics. After graduating from Bond, Celia landed a job as a nutritionist in Australia, while still continuing to work as a massage therapist and is once again considering returning to university to undertake a PhD. Celia took time out from her hectic schedule to share her unorthodox career journey, and I started by asking her about where it all began. So I grew up in a place called Spanish Town, which is just outside of Kingston. Um, so it's on the south coast of Jamaica, just outside the city. Isn't that Bob Marley territory around there? Ah, uh, yeah. So he would have been in Trenchtown. There's a song that he has, Trenchtown Rock. So that's exactly where he came from. I would live within like 20 minutes from there. Tell me about your childhood. What was it like? My dad met my mom in England, both Jamaican, and then they decided to go back home to Jamaica to live. And so my dad had kids before in a previous marriage and his wife had passed. And my mom had a daughter. So it was like Brady Bunch. <laughs> so it was, you know, they got married and it was instant family. And then they had myself and my younger brother. So it was six oh. kids. Oh, yeah. So you've mm-hmm. got a lot of half-brothers and sisters. Yeah. So we're scattered all over the globe. My sister lives in America. She's in Tennessee. I have a brother who is in England, a younger brother in Jamaica, and I'm here. Wow. And another half-sister in Wellington, Wellingboro, sorry, in, in England as well. And are you quite close? Yes and no. <laughs> So we do keep in touch, but it's, it's not a situation where we're in touch like every week kind of thing. Unfortunately, my family doesn't roll like that. So my younger brother and myself, I guess, because we were together longest. So, yeah, I'm pretty close to him. So we, we, we talk, you know, a few times a week usually. When you were young, what was your ambition? What did you want to be? Oh, Lord, I wanted to be a flight attendant and my mother said no. Why? She said, find something else. That's a glorified waitress. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to all the flight attendants that are... Your mum's a very strong woman, she was, isn't she? Yeah, pretty strong. And she was a teacher, but she says that I need to think of something that has more longevity, you know. So not that it was an infradic job, but she just like, yeah, that doesn't last long. I think in, that, in those times, it was all like once you were past a certain age, then you got retired. Oh, she wasn't thinking about a global <laughs> pandemic ending <laughs> international oh, that, travel or that, anything. Oh, yeah, that too, that too. You she know? had the sight. She had but, the gift. Yeah. So, yeah, but it was because I wanted to travel. That was the reason I really wanted to be a flight attendant. My life has been like completely meandering because <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> All right. So first time round when I went to, to college, I did business, right? And at the time I'd liked psychology, but I hadn't, it was kind of sciencey and you'd have had to do a lot of science subjects and I wasn't about the science. So I did business and did corporate management, which was still, you know, people oriented because that was, that was it. A little bit of a side, people would always just talk to me and tell me like their deep, dark secrets. Like I would be on the bus, you know, going home from high school and the person would sit beside me and then just start telling me their problems. And I was like, what? So anyhow, apparently I'm a good listener. <laughs> so I've always liked people, right? So I did HR. So I started off in HR management. Worked in the hotel industry for a bit. So that was fun because as a trainee manager, you travel to various properties and party hard here, <laughs> you know, as well as doing a little bit of work here and there. Yeah, particularly um, in Jamaica, I'm sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We put a party anywhere. And then, um, so when 9-11 came, our tourism industry was devastated because most of our clientele come from America. And so, you know, for a couple of years, well, nobody was trying to get on a plane. And so our occupancies 
which we would normally enjoy really high occupancies, went from like 80-odd, 90-odd down to two. <laughs> and so as the HR manager at the property at the time, I had to do a lot of redundancies and laying off of people. So pretty much similar to like what we have in here. How I've, did you handle that? That's a pretty horrible it was thing to a, have to It do. was horrible. It, it, I think it was one of the most... Horrible times of my life. Especially if you like people. Yeah, you know, The exactly. last thing you want to do is just say, I'm sorry, but I have to let exactly. you go. Exactly. And the property that I was at, many of the staff there had been there for years. Many of them, it was their first job and they stayed. And so I think at the time, it was 17 years that property was, was in um, existence. And so many of them didn't know of anything else that they could do. And so I found myself while counseling, many of them would ask, what would you do for free? You know, just to try and get them thinking, what else would they like to do? And I was in my office one early morning around three o'clock and I hadn't left from the day before. And I thought to myself, I'm like, life is too short to be miserable every single day. What would you do for free? (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know where it came from, but out of the clear blue skies, I thought I'd like to be a massage therapist. I'd like to have a place where... People could come and get my, maybe because I was completely stressed out and I wanted a massage myself. Who knows? <laughs> so you were channeling your <laughs> I was own channeling it. And I was like, <laughs> I would like to do that. I'd like to have a place where people can come and like a little crash area where, you know, if moms wanted a massage and we could take care of the kids while they, you know, got a little bit of pampering and so on. And for some reason, I followed through with that thought and I found a school that was in Otorios. By that time, I'd moved to the other side of the island. So I, I grew up on the south side, and then I moved to the north coast, where most of the hotels are. And I found a school um, in Otorios, which was maybe about 20, 30 minutes drive. Went there and did the course. And I remember I was never like a, you know, a touchy-feely kind of person. And so even when the course ended, I still kept going. And I remember Janice, she was <laughs> the owner of the school, and she came over to me one day and she said, Celia, do you know that the course is finished? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so she goes, you know that you can do a massage, right? I'm like, well, I hope so. You know, still working on confidence. And she goes, you can do a massage. Don't come back. <laughs> I guess shame works sometimes. What can I say? So, How did you go, though? If you, You've just said you're not a touchy-feely kind of person. And I would imagine, mm. not having done this, but going to a <laughs> massage school, that you would have to work on real people yes, to did. learn where all the pressure points yeah. are. And, yeah. But I just didn't have the confidence. But I, how did you go actually I, doing, physically doing it, if you're not a touchy-feely kind of person? Um, you just had to. I guess because I'd, I'd made the effort to find the school and I was like, I'm doing this, you know? So oh. I did it. Strange and vocation, by the way, for someone who I, isn't particularly right? a touchy-feely kind but of person. I, but I have become, it's like I've become my mother. You know, don't laugh at your parents because you become them. Um, so, <laughs> and then I went to New York and I did other courses and came back and went back to my desk. And then Sorry, also, more massage courses? So, yeah. um, I did facials and waxing and all sorts oh. of spa things. How was the New York experience? So, this is just after 9-11 too. So, so. so this would have been a year after So, yeah, Mm -hmm. when the borders reopened and, you know, things. So, yeah, it would have been about a year after. New York's an amazing place, but Mm. I couldn't imagine. I haven't been back since 9-11. I couldn't imagine what it would have been like just in the aftermath. I can't even remember now, honestly. But um, I stayed with a girlfriend of mine. And my only recollection of just after 9-11 or in the year after 9-11 was they had, you know, um, collapsed all the the buildings and it, it was cordoned off. There were still there was still rubble and such. The two there. towers there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know. They were still trying to work out what they were gonna do. What they were gonna it. do with it, yeah. yeah. So anyhow, um came home and then went back to my desk and then one day out of the clear blue skies again, I got a call from someone who was opening a spa and she said my teacher recommended me and would I be willing to come and do an interview, see the place, etc. So I'm a water baby. And so I'm walking into this spa and it's right on the sea and it's these little thatch huts and it's just gorgeous. And we sat on the grass in front of the, remember my HR manager, and we sat on the grass <laughs> in front of the hut and we had our chat and she was like, well, you know, if you want, come. And so people thought I was crazy to leave my executive job in my high heels and, <laughs> um, and go do massage therapy, which they thought was an infrading step because, you know, at the hotel that was like a line position versus an executive position. Sure. But... I felt, you know, when you're at peace with something. And it was the right thing to do. It was do. just the right thing to do. And I never had a bad day at yeah. work. 
And how did your mum feel about it? This is your mum that didn't want you to take the glorified waitress job <laughs> as, a, right? as a hostess. Right? So she, she said, you know, I spoke to them about it and they were so supportive. They're like, if that's where you feel that like this is where you're being led to go, you know, I'm sure you have thought about it and, and all that. And if that's what you want to do, then go for it. And yeah, no regrets. Yeah. yeah, no regrets at all. And I think I have been given a gift because there have been so many people that have done massages for over the year and they've said, you know, you have such gifted hands. And again, I would have people just telling me all sorts of things while they're lying on, <laughs> on the massage table, you well, know. It's a bit of a strange situation. It's a bit of a confessional, is it? I'm, I am absolutely blown away by the trust that, and, and I have to say it has to be trust that they have given to me by telling me things. I've had people from, like, the UN. You would think that they're in really great jobs and they're happy and they're like, yeah, no. And not feeling able to say this to people in their sphere because, you know, it's, it's, it's like a really fantastic job that they're in or, you know, whatever it was. You know what I mean? And they really would like to do X, but because of their obligations, et cetera, et cetera, this is where they found themselves and there's, you know, so it, it, it's, it's really been interesting. never turns interesting. out the way, the way you planned. Does exactly. It? So we exactly. all find ourselves in situations and yeah. for whatever reason, we can't always necessarily leave them. Yeah. So you've been doing that not completely ever since, although you still are a massage therapist, mm. but for a long time then, that's all you do. Yeah. So um, I then did sports massage and... Once I finished that, and this was the first time that we were actually doing sports massage in Jamaica. It was at, um, it's called GC Foster College of Sports. And it's the only dedicated sports college in the Caribbean. And so I went there and I did all three levels of sports massage. And the Junior World Games were coming up and my teacher was asked, she was a physiotherapist and she was asked to go with the team. And she says the only way she's going to go is if she can bring a massage therapist with her and she recommended for them to take me. So that was the first time a, a massage therapist was actually traveling with a national team. And so in my travels, that was where I got interested in nutrition. So from one, working with the athletes, from working with the athletes, we went to the world, the world junior games. We went to Poland and if you, you know, finally got to travel, <laughs> uh, got to travel. So we went to Poland and we had taken quite a lot of food with us because the athletes want things that they're familiar with. And you don't know what you're going to get in a foreign country. You don't country. know what you're going to get in a foreign country. And so they didn't like the food. So even though, you know, they'd go down to breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever it was, you know, they wouldn't eat anything and then they would be coming back up to us to say, can we have X, Y, and Z? <laughs> and so because they were still, you know, fed and fueled during like the heats and so on, we were making it to the finals, but then... I remember there was one particular athlete who had won the 100 meters in Jamaica and she would only eat chocolate. And of course, so she didn't medal. And so that was where I was like, oh my God, there is really a correlation between nutrition and sporting performance. I should go study that. So I went back home. I'd traveled with the teams a few times and went back home. And I think I was saying it for about a year or so that, oh, I really, I think I really want to study nutrition. So remember that thing about shame that I told you about before. So I was working at a chiropractor's office and I remember saying to him, oh gosh, you know, I really should go study nutrition. And so he stopped what he was doing and he looked over at me and he said, it's either you go study it or shut up. So I went the next week to the university and um, yeah, <laughs> and enrolled for the following semester. <laughs> so I studied nutrition dietetics and nutrition so that was what got me so went back to school for four years people thought i was crazy once again because you know at my age i was gonna be going back to university full-time and i'd be working full-time four whole years i'm like well four years will pass whether or not i do it so might as well you know go do it at least at the end of four years i'll have something and this so, is the university of technology university in of technology in jamaica right. yeah so that was really interesting not having come from a science background. So, you know, it was like you're reading a paragraph and you're Googling every other word because you don't know what that means. <laughs> so it was, it, was really, it was really interesting, but I really did love it. And at the end of it, I was like, okay, so I think I need to learn some more. So that was what got me interested in doing the master's program. And it was literally a Google search and Bond University on the Gold Coast came up on top. And so clicked on it and then when I saw the program 
And when I saw the professors and I started stalking some of the professors and I'm like, I need that school. And then, you know, looking at the professor's bios and like, I need them. (laughs) (laughs) Bond was calling you. So Bond was calling me and, you know, I guess long and short of it, I got in touch. You are, you're here. You know, and applied and did the interview with the then head of school was Liz Eisenring and um, got offered a position and packed up and came to Australia. So seeing you've had so much experience as a student, how does your experience of coming to Bond, which is a very one-on-one scenario in terms of the way they teach and small class sizes and very personal relationships mm-hmm. with the lecturers and the tutors, how did your experience here at Bond compare to what you'd had previously? At the University of Technologies was definitely a much larger class size. Bond, those things that you mentioned were exactly the things that worked for me because I knew I needed that. I'm not an online person either, so I didn't want to do you know, any kind of distance learning. And they really put a lot of effort into their students at Bond. The small class sizes are true. There is a genuine care that I felt from the lecturers and the professors there. They were like really genuinely interested in, in you. There's a lot of support that's offered to students at Bond as well. There's a lot of opportunities too, because for example, you get exposed to a lot of people in industry that you might not you know in a I don't want to say a regular university but in in a lot of the other universities you don't have access to that they do a lot of programs too that are that are firsts um, I remember there was a transformer program that was at Bond University and even even though it was a situation of I had no time but it was such a fantastic opportunity to just be able to meet other students from other faculties and to be able to learn technologies. I'm pretty old school. So technology is not, you know, one of my strong points and so on. And I figured it would be worth the effort to try. And that was really a fantastic experience for me. I remember in our final semester, my whole cohort went to Hong Kong as a cultural immersion. You know, so a lot of other universities, you don't get access to those things. Well, they're too big. They can't really kind of do that, can <laughs> no, they? So, so yeah. what happened in the cultural immersion in Hong Kong? What oh, was gosh, that? that was fantastic. So we did have, like, structured activities that we had to do, but it also gave us the opportunity to just see another side of nutrition and from a different cultural perspective as well. So can I tell you the first night? <laughs> the first night that we arrived, we were dietitians, so, you know, we had to check out the food, and we went to... A food market and it, the, the noise the people you know it's hong kong, it's hong kong. It, it, it was it was it was my first experience with that it was not the cleanest looking place <laughs> but in walks a big group of like i think it was 24 of us and then luckily we found one person who spoke english who was actually he had actually been to Australia and studied here and went back home to Hong Kong and they have this, can we call it a restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, all of you? And we're like, yes. And so he's like, come. And so we're walking through this market, through the kitchen, <laughs> around the back where they, they got some tables and put us all together. And there was a, like a little rat or two <laughs> running around. <laughs> and we're like... Okay, I guess as long as we can see the rats, they're not in the pot. <laughs> we should be fine. Lucky you're only a dietitian yeah. and not a health inspector. But, but it, yeah. it was it was absolutely delicious what we what we had, you know. And they just kept giving. It was they were so hospitable, you know. They just kept bringing, and we we're like, we want to pay for it because on top of what we had ordered, and we were trying to pay for it, and he wouldn't take any money from us. And it was just it was just an absolutely interesting experience. I would not have given that experience up for anything. Well, think, I'm just thinking as, you, as you're saying that, if you had stayed in that executive role in HR, you would never have had never. these experiences. Never. Whether it was New York post 9-11, the cultural immersion in Hong Kong doing yeah. this, or Poland with the sports team. You come to the Gold Coast, you're studying your Masters in Nutrition here, and while that's happening, the Commonwealth Games is on, mm. and the Jamaican sports team comes here. Yes. And, well, lo and behold, there's quite a few people you know that are involved in that team. So what happened when the Commonwealth Games was on? So that was hilarious because prior to them coming, I was contacted by um, someone from the, the Jamaica Olympic Association. And he says, 
you believe that you think that you're the only Jamaican on the Gold Coast because like three people gave me your name. So <laughs> one of my clients when I was home was the consular officer for Australia. So she gave him my name. He's like, oh, my massage therapist has gone to Australia. Call her. His wife, (laughs) 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 who I was a summer worker, like, you know, the student summer jobs. Yes, yes. And so his wife was at the company where I, my dad used to work. And so I met her then. And she's like, oh, Celia's in Australia. Small world. Small wow. world. And I don't remember who else he, he, what it was that he said, you know, and so that they were coming and that they were going to be staying at Mantra or somewhere like that on the Gold Coast. And can they meet up with me when they come? And they brought me Jamaican food. So, of course, you know, I was like, yeah. Because you'd been missing Jamaican food. I'd been missing Jamaican what food. What sort of Jamaican food? Oh, Lord. Um... They brought things, and, it, and it's silly things, like banana chips. <laughs> we have banana chips. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not. I made the mistake of trying your banana chips. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All kind of different snacks that you just, little pastries and stuff that, you know. <sighs> So it's interesting, the sports team is still travelling with all their own food. They're still no travelling with they food. So yeah. this was before they came. So they, they came to kind of scout the area and to make oh, some okay. contacts because they wanted to set up. Yeah, to because they set up what was called the Jamaica Manor. I don't know if you had seen that. No, it was kind of like a little unofficial embassy on the Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. they brought over a chef. And funnily enough, he was one of my lecturers from school back home. <sighs> but he would travel. So he like travelled when they went to the Olympics. And so they brought him. Oh my God, was I happy to see him. I was so broke because I kept buying, I kept going there to buy. It was like delicious Jamaican food. It was just awesome. So yeah, so they came and um, so I met them, you know, before they, they came kind of able to give them ideas as to what they might be able to do or places that they might be able to go and so on. And so then when they came back, it was just fantastic as well. Yes. <laughs> with some of that because there are some of the athletes that had progressed from the junior team to the senior it was just fantastic to see them absolutely <laughs> while we're talking sport here jamaicans of course like best sprinters in the world generally well hopefully we can still hold on to that not everybody's usain bolt of course but <laughs> no. no what about you i mean i know you like to run were you ever athletically inclined did you ever compete like no so you're probably gonna laugh but <laughs> <laughs> i never used to run really when i was younger the only thing that i played was netball and it wasn't for any long period of time funnily enough my mom was really a a very good netball coach but i used to go with her but i never yeah i never really played myself (laughs) i played after i left college i think i played for a year and do you know how i started running it was one christmas after my father had passed and so it was like different families would invite us over for Christmas and so on. And I remember one Christmas, I ate so much food and it was one of my friends. And as we were lying on the, on the, on the laundry room floor, like, <laughs> why did we do that to ourselves? And she said to me, would you like to come and run with my group tomorrow? And I just said, okay. And I went out and I ran six miles. I'd always just like been that. fit, you know? Yeah. And I think I must have experienced the runner's high because I just kept going back every week. So by the end of the following year, I did my first half marathon and I was hooked. Yeah. I love that so many things that happen in your life are not just by design. The, not by design. By accident. Yeah. You're an accidental tourist. I'm, you, really? I'm just like, just go with the flow. <laughs> yeah, you know? I like just that. I like that. Go with the flow. I was very fortunate when I came to Australia. My landlords, I'd met them and... She said, oh, my, one of my very best friends, they live in L.A. So my flight got delayed from Jamaica. And because of that, the airline put me up overnight in L.A. And so I said to them, oh, I'm going to be staying you know, overnight in L.A. It would be good to meet you. Maybe I was a little bit nervous, too, that hopefully when I landed in Australia, I actually had somewhere to live because I didn't <laughs> meet them. And so um, they said, yes, it would be great to meet you. So I went and met them. And she said, I told them I was a runner. And she said, my best friend's a runner. And... Gave me the number and I called him up and I landed Saturday and on Monday morning I was going for a run with MJ. And then I did the half marathon, the Gold Coast half marathon in July. How did you go? Um, Under two hours. Pretty That's good. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know. I remember speaking to you the first time I met you and 
You loved so many great runs here. The oh, Gold Coast was a great place. Running to run. on the Esplanade is just fabulous. Absolutely just fabulous. Just beachfront. I'm just, just saying. glorious. Yeah. yeah. And I remember after, so we have two semesters of prac where we are going to hospitals and things. And I wasn't able to exercise much then. And so after that, I decided to do the Gold Coast 50. So I did the 30K run. And I remember one of the clients that came into massage once said, you're on the, on the website. I'm like, what? She goes, yeah. You said, she said, you look so happy. When I went and looked on the website, I had my, my arms out like a, like a plane because <laughs> I was thinking to myself, this is the last time I'm ever going over a half marathon <laughs> ever in life. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and apparently they caught me when I was thinking that thought. <laughs> With your arms With outstretched. With my arms outstretched. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> I'm like, what? So she goes, yes. So I went and looked. And I'm like, so when I saw her the next time, I was like, they caught me as I was thinking, I'm never going beyond a half marathon again ever in life. And I'm sure but you I had that kind run. of, that ecstatic <laughs> adrenaline kind of look on your face that, that runners have at a certain point. Because <laughs> wow. a half marathon is 21K yep. and I did 30K, but I needed something to get me going again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't have a half marathon and I'm like, a 10K is too short. You know, that's not going to get me out to really go and train. But that was so, it was so beautiful because we ran from Broad Beach down to Tugon and back. I was chatting to random strangers. <laughs> I stopped at every water stop. It was so hot. I stopped at every shower and I still came in under three hours. So I was quite proud of myself because I was really fit. Yeah, you should be, yeah. <laughs> All the while the people are thinking, who is this crazy woman just talking just, to us randomly? This is a woman. But the podcast is like that. You can talk just, to anyone. Yeah, okay. so I love it. Love it, love oh, it. Oh, wow. Well, having said that, you're no longer living here and working here because when you graduated from Bond, you were offered a job in Toowoomba, yeah. which is about two hours almost yeah. exactly two hours drive from here but it's a thousand meters above sea level and it gets quite cold there oh in my goodness and i'm thinking how does a girl from a tropical island mm. cope in toowoomba you used to get cold on the gold coast winter, and it doesn't get cold here i i told so I'm them thinking, how are you going to cope yeah, up there i told them i said i complained bitterly about winter <laughs> on the gold coast They're like gold coast doesn't get winter no <laughs> i'm like i'm realizing that now so when I went up to, to Toowoomba, I thought I would like, I, I said, okay, let me keep running. Mm -mm. It was a different kind of cold. And oh, it's very day, dry. It, mm, yeah. Day four on the job, I had to call in sick. I was home sick. Uh, <laughs> because you've been out running. I'd been cold. out running and caught something. And so, yes, that was my introduction. So then Not I a promptly. Good impression when you just started. No. <laughs> so I promptly went and joined a gym and just ran on the treadmill. <laughs> for the winter and then i remember when september finally came around and because i thought this is it i'm gonna die just like shoot me no that's the more humane thing to do and then september came around and it was warm and i remember the first weekend of spring i flowers the flowers around, came out and it was, was yes and you know i was like i put on a t-shirt on shorts and i'm like look i have arms look <laughs> i have legs and look i still have color in my skin oh no god look so i was escaping to the gold coast as much as i could to try and get some color mm. so <laughs> and and i remember i i packed up all of my warm clothes and took on my shorts and everything and then the following weekend it was freezing again and they were like oh you rookie <laughs> rookie error <laughs> rookie error but Toomba has grown on me yeah, I do enjoy running there and I find that when I come back down to the coast and I run here I feel like I'm flying down the Esplanade it may not look like it yeah. but that's what I feel <laughs> because okay. running in altitude you know is a lot more difficult but then when you come to the flat it oh, just yeah. makes it's it so, so much, much easier. easier yeah so you would have found it hard at first I was going to ask you about yeah. that because a thousand meters yeah like, okay and I swear you can't go anywhere without a hill into Wumba. So you're already high it's and then everything range. is... Exactly. Hello. And then I would run out from my house and there'd be a headwind. And I swear the wind watches me going out and says, oh, she's coming back, she's coming back, turn around. <laughs> and then there's a headwind coming back home. I'm like, who does that? And a bitterly cold headwind at that, yeah. Yeah, so I've just now started running on the road again because winter has finally passed. 
<laughs> so where are you working there? So I work in two clinics. Um, one is a diabetes-specific clinic called AH Diabetes. And I also work at Vision Exercise Physiology. So um, three days at one clinic and two days at the other. And you've been there how long now? It would have been two weeks after I graduated. So two years? Almost? Yeah, two years. Yeah, just yeah. over two years No. And from your first experience there of that winter, you probably thought you wouldn't survive another week, let alone two I didn't, years. exactly. But Toowoomba has really grown on me. Yeah, you're enjoying it? I am. Okay. They have some really lovely restaurants and hiking, yeah. you know, places that you can go it's hiking beautiful. and so it's on. Very it's beautiful. It's quite, yeah. Town. Yeah. And there's no Jamaican food, I wouldn't imagine. No Jamaican. No Jamaican food. restaurants. No. no. Unfortunately. <laughs> but there's a Jamaican couple that has moved in and she loves to cook. Oh. So I was very pleased to make their acquaintance. So they were in King Arroy. And from the Com Games, when all the Jamaicans converged on the, the Gold, Gold Coast, Coast yeah. I'd met some others and we had exchanged numbers and so on. And right. so they were friends of friends from Gladstone. And so when they were moving to Toowoomba, they called me up to say, oh, you're going to have some company. That's good. <laughs> do you get homesick? I do. I do. Because I still have, you know, many of my friends are home, my, f- my mom, family home. You know. When were you last back then? So I went home just before the pandemic hit. I went home in February. It was a surprise for my mom. And um, thankfully she didn't have a heart attack because that would have been very bad. It was her milestone birthday. So all of us planned to go home and we had planned a, a big party for her and everything. But unfortunately, COVID hit and I had to cut my vacation short. And I got back here to Australia literally two days before they closed the borders to everyone. Gee. And missed your mum's birthday? And missed my mum's birthday. Oh, no. But at least you got to see her. I did, yeah. And, and I had, like, got stuck into eating my way through my vacation. So, right. you know, I did have some <laughs> so this nice is, memories. Again, it seems like you're here not by design, that you're still in Australia. And at this stage, no intentions to leave? Um, I've stopped predicting what's going to happen <laughs> because I realised that it just does not go how I think, you know? <sighs> I'm, I'm just, I'm going with the flow. I'm going with the flow. I yeah. guess that's the best way to put it. <laughs> and you're still working as a massage therapist. So you come back to the Gold Coast probably once a month. Once a month. Yeah, once a month. There were literally some clients that when I said, okay, I'm moving up to Toowoomba. So I don't think it's going to work for me to, you know, come back and so on. And they stopped getting massages. Uh, yeah. so, so you felt guilty you had to come back <laughs> to give them a message. I, I had a good laugh. I remember one of the one of the clients said, What? So who do I need to fall down in front of and have a hissy face? <laughs> <laughs> no, wow. she wasn't Karen. There's a testimonial so, to put on your CV. Yeah. I'm really good. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your other field of expertise because it's all about nutrition. Mm-hmm. Is sugar the big evil for us? Because we talk about, you hear it so often, you've mentioned diabetes, you're working in a diabetes clinic. Is sugar the big evil in the I, world? I really wish it could be that simple. Yeah. Because if, if sugar was a problem, then we wouldn't have fat people, quote unquote, mm. <laughs> you know, or people who are obese in the world. It's a combination of things. When you think about our parents' generation, they used to walk more, they used to do more physical activity. Now... We're all plugged in the we're screen. All, exactly. Yeah. You know, we're sitting down. We're driving everywhere. Our portions have gotten larger, you know, over time, right? The formulations of many of packaged foods and so on have changed. There's added fats. There is, you know, more saturated fats. There's more sugar. There's so many different things. So I think the biggest problem is habits. So how do you convince someone mm. to change their diet if they've had a lifetime of bad habits? Yeah. So I learned pretty quick that I can't convince anyone. You can't. I thought that everyone coming in to see a dietitian would be motivated to change. Not really. <laughs> so. But why are they coming to see you if they don't want to change? They'll, they'll say, oh, I said, you know, what brings you in today? My doctor told me I'm fat and yeah. I need to come see you. Or my doctor says I'm going to die <laughs> or this. But what I have found... You need to find people's why. So they will come in and they'll say, oh, I need to lose weight. And I'll say, why do you need to lose weight? And when you dig deep, it would be things like, I want to be around for my kids. I want to have energy so that I can play with my grandchildren. I want to not have to buy two seats on an airplane. You know what I mean? 
So health is different to everyone. And I've even had this week, someone came in to see me and he's just been diagnosed with diabetes. And so we talked about what would need to happen. And I'm like, so what would you be willing to change? Because when I looked at his diet, it really wasn't what would be recommended for someone with diabetes. So what would you be willing to change? And he said nothing. This is the problem, isn't it? Because we're humans. We're intelligent. Mm. We understand what the problem is. Mm. And yet we so willingly don't go there. We just don't want to do it, even if it means yeah. our lives. I can only imagine it must be so frustrating for you in your line of work. Yeah. And, and so that person, he has a high family history of diabetes and he's seen what has happened to his family. And I'm like, yes, but there are things that you can do to prevent and delay that, you know, but you have to want it for yourself. And I learned that I can't work harder than my client. You know, I can't work yeah. harder than my client. So if I find someone that comes in and they're not really ready to change, I can give them information. And when they're ready, they can come back. And I've said that to people. I was like, I realize that you're not in the space, you know, to make any changes at the moment, but here's some information that you can read. And then when you're ready, you can come back and see me. What about the other side of it? What about people who have made change and seen that change in their lives? Like, yeah. you know, what's the best thing that anyone's ever said to oh you? Oh, my goodness. Um, there have been a few. I remember there was one lady, very, very, very overweight. And because of that, no, she had then gotten some chronic conditions. And she came in and we had a chat and we came up with a plan. And when she came back to see me for her review, she had pretty much implemented a lot of what we had spoken about. And I was like, so what was different this time? And she said, I spoke to you. And I was like, tears. I literally took, the, <laughs> took up the tissues and started dabbing because, you know. And, and then she started telling me what I'd said to her that had made such a difference and so on. But she was also in the, in the right mind frame to start doing something You've different. You've got to want to change. Exactly. Yeah. I remember there's another guy who came in, he and his wife, and both of them looked very miserable. And he had been managing diabetes for years and he was very stubborn in that he knew what to do from whatever he had been told from donkeys years ago and you know um the science has changed and improved and there are different things that we can do but he was setting that he knows what he's doing however he'd had like two toes amputated off one foot and another two toes off the other foot and his doctor was threatening to, to amputate another one and, think, and saying that, look, if you don't get your, your diabetes under control, we might have to, you know, be going for the foot. And so when they came in and, you know, listened to what he said and thing, and again, you know, we had the conversation and he went away and he was getting blood sugars. So look, your blood sugars should be between six and eight, you know, and then if you're older, then we have, there's a flexibility of going up a little bit higher, maybe to, to 10 maximum. And he was having blood sugars of like 18, 19, 20, right? And he was very, very afraid of having a hypo. So if you have a hypo in your sleep, you can go in, that's when you can go into a coma. Yes. And so he would be eating carbohydrates before going to bed because he was trying to not have a hypo in his sleep. And so it was explaining to him what he was doing and, you know, how we could possibly approach it. And thankfully, he went home and gave it a go. And so when he came back to see me, his blood sugars were coming down to like eight and, and 10 and with the odd one going up to maybe 11 or so. And I'm like, wow, look at that. Hello. Right. So when, uh, when he came in, he was smiling. His wife was smiling. Yeah. He felt better right? about himself. And he felt, so he felt better. And then when he came back for, you know, the second review, we were like, well, within range. And so it's those things that really make me feel good. You know, and that you're doing something worthwhile. It really is interesting. I thought many people think that dietitians are mathematicians. We're going to calculate how many calories you should be having. And, you know, these are your macros, blah, blah, blah. It's so different in a consult. You will say to someone, so what do you think is the biggest challenge with your diet? And then they burst into tears and say, my sister's. <laughs> what <laughs> sorry yeah. so yeah because she will say you know whenever she tries to make any healthy changes her sisters would ridicule her with on that again or you know you want to go for a walk why <laughs> you know oh, you think you're better than us kind of thing you know and so it just people are horrible people really? can be very horrible people can be very horrible and so it's it's about looking at people's relationship with food 
I can see that's the best part of your job, that you see the tangible change in people's lives. Mm-hmm. I asked you if sugar was the main culprit. You said it's far more complex than that. Mm-hmm. And the modern world, we eat so much processed food mm-hmm. and there's things like trans fats and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But is this largely an issue in developed countries or do you see this in like Jamaica as well? Unfortunately, or? urbanization, <laughs> Because we used to be the same where our parents and grandparents would walk places, would, you know, be involved in gardening and, you know, very physical labor and that sort of thing. So we're moving. They said the sitting is a new smoking, you know. And so it's the same thing in Jamaica where more access to cars, nobody wants to do farming anymore because they don't, they don't see it as being lucrative. And so, you know, moving into the cities, trying to, you know, get those kinds of jobs and so on. And so, yes, our waistlines have started to expand. It really is a worldwide epidemic. And obesity is a disease, right? There have been times where, you know, politically correct, do we say, you know, obesity, do we say fat, whatever, but obesity has actually been, it's now a disease. And when you have obesity, it puts you at higher risk of all sorts of other chronic conditions. And if it is, and because you can have people who are very, very overweight and they're malnourished. So you can't look at someone and think that it's just because they eat too much why they're overweight. You know? They're eating the wrong things and they're Can't not exercising. The wrong things, not exercising. Some of them are not even eating. They only have one meal a day. But everyone's different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone's different. And so all sorts of other survival mechanisms kick in that make it very difficult for you to lose weight. So I've had people who have come in and I'm saying to them, I know you want to lose weight, but I need you to eat more. <laughs> Honestly, and then, I can imagine the looks on their faces. Yeah, what do yeah. you mean? <laughs> I need to eat more. What kind of a nutritionist are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're built to survive, yeah. right? And we're not one-dimensional. There are so many other systems that kicking, you know, when when we're not eating properly, and it's for us to survive. When I hear you describe this and you talk about the complexity of the factors involved, it's almost like you're not a nutritionist; you're a life coach. Yeah, exactly. So my friends at home have said, we knew you're going to do some sort of counseling, you know, from get go. Because like I said, I would be a student on the bus and random strangers (laughs) would just start talking to me. (laughs) You know, That still happens? It's amazing the things that, that come out in some of those sessions. Absolutely amazing. Like you literally stop typing. (laughs) You literally, you know, we have to deal with that. Because if we don't deal with that, then there is no way that we're going to get the food right. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, 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 there's never a dull moment. It sounds to me as though there's other opportunities for you in terms of perhaps even education to tackle this very complex problem. Do you think that you'd ever go back to university again? Oh, dear Lord. That's why I've stopped saying I will never. Because having gone home, I realised that there's a big gaping hole when it comes on to diabetes management in Jamaica and unfortunately we do have high levels of diabetes and being a developing country we don't have access to a lot of the healthcare services that you have here and so I would really like to be able to empower other healthcare providers to empower people with diabetes to better manage their condition Diabetes puts you at risk of so many other conditions. And there's a high level of burnout because there's so much information. Even though I'll have clients who will come in and says and say to me, you know, I was told that I can't eat this, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And so there is so much conflicting information that people just don't know what to do. And so they just throw their hands up in the air, many of them, and just eat whatever, (laughs) which does not help. And so there's a lot of reliance on medication management as well. And I've had, well, in Toowoomba, we've had quite a lot of refugees who will come. And they're coming from countries where there is also a lot of diabetes. And so they have the added complication of low or no English. And so I'm very interested in that. So I'm hoping, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. I'm hoping to actually do a PhD to look more into that and how we might be able to help those people. And you come back and do that PhD here on the Gold Coast? It's my hope. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I've I've actually submitted my application. Fingers crossed. I'm hoping that I'll I'll be able to to start that in February. But let's see. So even though you've decided that you've given up on trying to map out where you want to go, you're just going to go with the flow. At some point, you think you're going to go home. I have no clue <laughs> because I literally it was impossible for me to be here now. <laughs> there was just no way. <laughs> All right. And here I am. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm flexible. I'm flexible, you know, to, to whatever. I do know that I would like to be able to give back because I've gotten so much from Jamaica. And even when I was coming here, that was another remarkable story with the support that I got from a lot of people in Jamaica. In what ways? What sort of support? That's a long story. Um, okay, so coming here was quite expensive, right? And I had most of the funds to come. But it was, it was definitely not enough. And I knew that I, I probably would not have been able to make it for the last few semesters. And so in talking to like a lot of my clients and so on, because they, they were like on, on the journey with me, you know, when I got accepted to bond and then, okay, how are you going to get there? And so on. And so when they heard that I got accepted to bond and that I was still trying to maybe get like a bank loan or something and that wasn't working. And I remember going to clients and they, I would leave them and they would hand me an envelope and said, we want to help you. And they just, people just donated money to me. Like, yeah, even though I'm thinking about it and I get teary, like, honestly, I, I get teary. But yeah, it was... That's extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Like, in the space of, it would have been about three weeks, people donated to me, like, over, I could put a million dollars. What? <laughs> Jamaican, which would have been about 10,000 or so US dollars. God, people just... Kept giving me money. That's extraordinary. I know. And, and I didn't ask. You know, it was, what's happening? <laughs> you know, yeah. I remember I was in a meeting and I saw a message come through on my phone. And when I looked at it, and I burst into tears. And so, of course, the meeting came to a grinding halt and they're like, what did we say? What did we say? <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't even speak. And so I showed the phone to someone and it was one of my clients who had messaged me and she said, have you bought your ticket to Australia yet? And I messaged her back to say, no, you know, that I was still, I was working on it. And she said, don't worry, I'll buy the ticket for you. That's, you. That's incredible. So, and of course, none of these people expected anything in return. They all just wanted to help you. They just want, I had nothing to give. Yes. <laughs> and I'd believe in the country. You know what I mean? And I remember my mom, like something would happen and I would, and I would call her and I'd be in tears and she just had to wait to hear the, <laughs> what, what good news was this. I think I spent three weeks just crying because, you know, people were just, I, I was like, what is this? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, I really I really would like to, to give something back to Jamaica. I know that, you know, if I were to do this PhD with technology, I'd be able to go home and come back, you know. So I'd, I'd, I've just stopped saying this is what's going to happen because every time I do that, I'm going back to someone else and say, oh, yeah, well, that didn't happen. Here I am, you know. So I've just learned to go with the flow. Do you believe in fate? Do you think that I sometimes do. I do. it was so, meant to happen? You were meant to be here? Yeah, yeah, I do believe that. And... um Having submitted the application for the PhD program was a giant leap of faith. If it wasn't for for that, I wouldn't even have come to Australia. You know what I mean? And now here you are. And now here I am. Potentially about to undertake yeah. a PhD. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I didn't think that I would have gotten a job after I finished. I'm like, you know, because you're coming from another country and. I was older than most of the other folks in the class and thing. And I'm like, okay, so let's just send it. No I had no expectations. And so I sent through my application. I remember my friend had said to me, he's from the Gold Coast as well. And he had to go down to Byron Bay to do an interview for an internship. And he said, you want to come keep him company? In? And I'm like, do more applications, drive to Byron Bay. Do more applications, drive to Byron Bay. What a choice. Yeah. <laughs> so I sent off this application and I said, okay, I'm coming. So on the way to Byron Bay, 
which would have been about 45 minutes after I submitted the application, they called me. <laughs> so we're so we're driving to Byron Bay, and and this gentleman is saying, um, "We just got your application come through, and are you? Can you talk now?" <laughs> <laughs> and so I grabbed onto my friend's shoulder. I think you probably saw my palm printed on his shoulder. How I grabbed it's still it. Still there. Probably still there. <laughs> and so my interview was on the way down to Byron Bay. And so then when he got to where he was, I sat down in the car park on the phone, still talking to them. And so then, so he's like, okay, so how soon can you come up to Toowoomba? You know, because he was a, a headhunter and you could meet with the clinic. And so um, I was like, well, it's Friday, you know, Monday's a holiday, but I could do Tuesday. And he's like, okay. So I went wow. up on Tuesday and Just did the like interview. That. And then the following week, I was moving up to Toowoomba. When I say my life has been unorthodox, <laughs> it's been unorthodox because I never thought that I would leave Jamaica. I had no interest in leaving Jamaica. I had a, a business going on and it was, you know, a pretty successful business. And then this opportunity came up and it was like, there it is over there in the distance. I literally don't know how I'm going to get there. And then things just fall into place and I came and it was a beautiful experience at Bond. And then I got the job in Toowoomba, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm still <laughs> able to have the benefit of both worlds because I still get to come back down to the Gold Coast. I really do love the Gold Coast, but then I've also started to really love Toowoomba as well. So, and I've made friends there. I'm just waiting to see. 2020 has been a different year and I'm just waiting to see how it all plays out because anything can happen. <laughs> anything can happen and usually does when Celia is involved. As somebody who believes in fate and is prepared to go with the flow, it's been a journey full of surprises for Celia in a rarity. Celia is just one of many thousands of students who come to the Gold Coast each year to further their education and pursue their dreams. If you'd like to meet some of our other international students in this series, you'll find their stories at www.studygoldcoast.org.au slash podcast. My name is Trevor Jackson, and I'll catch you next time for Tomorrow is Mine.